Okay, turn with me to uh, Mark, and go ahead and turn there today to um, be good if I knew the reference, right? Mark 16. A very interesting scripture you heard us today read from Mark 16, 1, and we read there through verse 8, and I'm going to be reading in a second here in verse 9 and then for, through verse 12. Let's go ahead and, uh, and read, uh, in fact, that right now. We see that both Marys and the ladies had gone to the tomb. And they had had quite a day because obviously they realized on this day that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that he was not, no longer in a dead state. He had been crucified. And they went to, uh, to see him and to mourn his death. And they find out that he is not there. And in verse 8, we see that they're in quite a fearful condition when it says there, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And then obviously from this time of being afraid, they uh, had to go and tell others about it. So they worked through their fear. And in verse nine of 16, it says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons Verse 10, and she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what does it say? They would not believe it. Look at verse 12. And after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. And as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not not believe either. Well, these, it's interesting that they had not believed because they had, they had seen Jesus. Uh, it should intrigue us because these disciples and these people that were around Jesus had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen Jesus heal the bodies of sick people. They had seen Jesus bring sight to the blind They had seen it firsthand, many of them. They had experienced it. They had actually seen it. And yet they did not believe. What about us? Do we believe? John Piper said that unbelief is turning away from Jesus to find satisfaction somewhere else. Or, to put it positively, belief in Jesus is coming to him to feed on him. That is to get my satisfaction, to have my soul thirst satisfied from him. If that's the case, then i got to confess something to you today, and the confession that I would make to you is that I don't know if I believe Because it seems like I'm constantly, and maybe you're in my boat, but it seems like I'm constantly turning away and constantly trying to find my satisfaction somewhere else in this world. Is that you? 
Do I actually believe that what Jesus did for me on the cross can heal my suffering? Did you get the question? It's important that we answer it. Do, we, do I actually functionally believe, actually believe? I'm not talking about the kind of belief system that right now when I'm in church and I'm sitting here in a, with, a, with a bunch of people that I can say, yes, I believe that. I give that assent. I believe it with all my heart. I'm talking about the dark corners of our lives on a Friday night when we feel like getting drunk or when we're laying in our bed at night and wondering who in the world we are. Do we actually believe that there has been a God who has sent a son and that son died on a cross for us and that cross now can actually heal me as a living being on this planet? Do I actually functionally believe it? I, I, I really challenge you on this level a lot of times because I believe that whatever we believe in those dark corners are the ways, are going to be the ways in which we behave in this life. Your behavior is always connected to your beliefs. Just accept that because it's so crucial that you get it. If you believe that God is a removed God and he's not involved in your life and that this is kind of this church thing that we do, we kind of get together and do this thing, you kind of punch the clock, your behavior during the week will reflect that belief system. If you believe that God hates you and that you have sinned so much that God could never love you again, your behavior during the week will reflect that kind of belief system. It's true. Do I actually believe in the power of God in prayer? Do I actually believe it? Do I actually believe that God can change me? Do you? Do you actually believe it? Do you believe it? Yeah, please, for, for goodness sake, don't say yes in church. No, I mean it. Don't. Because I, I would much rather you say yes out there, out, outside of these walls. This is the easy place to say yes. It's all kumbaya, and we got the cans around the fire. And Come by here, Lord. Feel good. What about, what about out there? Do I actually believe it? What do I really believe? Do I actually believe that God is enough if I'm a single person here and struggling with my singleness? Do I believe God's enough for me? If we were to truly be honest, a lot of us would say, no, I don't believe that. Wouldn't we? Do I actually believe that because Christ, the hope of glory, lives inside of my life, that I can forgive my wife, that I can forgive my husband? Do I actually believe, functionally believe, that I can actually forgive my stepdad, my stepmom, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother? Just fill out the blank. Do I actually believe that? And then I'll, I'm going to get some people really mad at me on this statement. Really mad. Do I actually believe that I, that, do I actually believe that my relationship with Christ 
gives me all the strength that I need to cope in this life? Or do I believe that my Zoloft or Prozac gives me all the strength that I need to cope in this life? Do I believe that Zoloft and Prozac died on the cross for me? Now I really got you upset, don't I? Especially for those of you that are prescribed. After all, I want you to know something. The Lord deeply loves you and cares about your coping mechanisms. But I do want you to know something that I think that there is um, more than likely a time and a place for us to look at medication as something that we need with our health. I'm, I'm not a um, Scientologist, but I'll tell you what I am. I'm gospel-centered. I'll tell you what I am. I'm cross-centric, and I'll tell you what I am. We've come to the place in our culture where the easiest and the most greatest thing that we can do is to be able to call all of our problems a medical condition and go get medicated. And here's what I have to say to you in, very, in love, my brother and sister, my young pilgrim, sons and daughters of the king. I want you to know something. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because the pain that the Lord could want you to be in could be the pain that the Lord wants you to be in. And he may want you to be the Lord. He may want to be the Lord of the pain. Do I actually believe that that the Lord could actually... <laughs> it seems so crazy that when I say this, we've actually come to the place in our culture and society that it's almost crazy to say. Do I actually believe that the Lord could actually be the Lord of my depression? Think about how weird that is that I said that. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. Do we, do we just believe that the Lord has certain categories? that he's powerful enough in? It's interesting, isn't it? It's a good challenge for you. And it's okay if you want to shoot the messenger. Please go ahead. I've got many holes in the boat. I can receive many more. But think about it. Do we actually believe these things that I'm talking about? The resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief. Let me say that again. The resurrection exploded into a world of unbelief. The supernatural invaded the natural world, not to coexist with the world, but to transform the world. Did you hear what I just said? Because it's absolutely the crucial piece of this message. It says this, the resurrection exploded into, the, into a world of unbelief. And the supernatural invaded the natural world, not to coexist, but to transform. Jesus didn't rise from the dead to make us nice people who dress right and go to church on Sundays. That's not why Jesus went to the cross and rose again. I played, I tried to do something really funny the other night with my girls, very in a teasing way. I said to them the other night, knowing that I, I live in a girl's house and all the girls have their Easter dresses, you know, it's important and it's beautiful, it's fine. And I just said, I said, hey, now that you guys know that you guys just have your identity in Christ, why don't you just guys, why don't you guys just go to church tomorrow in your jeans and t-shirt? 
they laughed at me. It was like, right, you know? I'm not making an indictment on my girls. But, I, but I, I, I'd like to make an indictment on me. And the indictment is, is that, do I, do I just believe in this tame little kind Jesus? Who came to earth and he, he kind of wandered around in the desert and told people truth and then went to the cross? Do I believe that that event, that thing that took place, that time in history where he came and did that just makes me be a good little Christian boy? good little Christian girl? Isn't there a lot more for me that God has in the person of his son, Jesus? Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we could separately live our lives and kind of include and insert him where we want. (laughs) Jesus exploded into our dreary world of unbelief to take over and to transform us. This is all takeover language. It's all transform language. Transform everything about our lives, everything everything that's going on in our lives. That's why Jesus came. That's what the cross is all about. It's complete takeover and transform language. It's complete change us. David Wilkerson has a quote, and he said this. He said, today, some Christians are content to merely exist until they die. They don't want to risk anything to believe God, to grow or mature. They refuse to believe his word and have become hardened in their unbelief. They are just living to die. Is that true of us? After these things that had happened with the disciples, Jesus in Mark 16, 14 says this right after these three encounters that we read to you today. Jesus says, afterwards, it says, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And listen to what it says. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Thought about that. It's amazing to me. I don't know if you're in my boat, but it's amazing to me how I don't like to be rebuked. It's also amazing to me how many times when many of you show up uh, at different appointments that we'll sit down and we'll talk about things, and as we sit down and we begin to peel back the layer of the onion on your life, the many choices that you're making, it's amazing to me how many of you have such a terrible aversion to the truth in your life. What you want out of me many times during those times as we sit together is you almost want me to be complicit in your dysfunction. Meaning, I'm a partner in the crime. I, it's okay for us just to kind of get together over coffee and for us to be just like the disciples were in the room where they were mourning and weeping. And it seems like that's what we do very well, don't we? Man, 
There are times for that. What is it about us that we don't like to be rebuked? Isn't it interesting that Jesus decides to rebuke the disciples as they were kind of reclining and laying there? Jesus decides to to dive right in. It's as if we think that we are these perfect little creatures who never think or do things wrong. I've challenged you on this level many times, but it's, a, it's something that I want to continue to challenge you on. Is there anybody that it's in your life that you've given permission to rebuke you for the way you think? Do you know that you think, like, wrongly a lot? <laughs> do you know that? Do you know that you do things wrong a lot, like me? Is there anybody in your life that has the freedom to rebuke you, to look at you and say, hey, bro, way off there, uh-uh. Red light, flashing. Anybody? Well, after all, because when, be, when, we, when we get to the point where we're, we're adults, nobody can do that. We bow up. Who are you to talk to me? And then here's what we do. We look back and go, we do this. As every, every time we get a rebuke, what about you? What about you? Well, right, right there, we're, we're missing the rebuke. Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have said that to Jesus? Well, Jesus, what, what, what about you? Isn't there a time in your life where you haven't believed? Huh? What about you? By the way, oh, too, Jesus, you know, you know how they say that you gotta, when you talk to people, you gotta say, you got, when, you say when you say 10 things to them, Give them nine things of comfort and one negative thing. You ever heard that? When you go to tell somebody something, I'm making fun. Just take and go with me. When you go to tell somebody something, you, be, you comfort them. You say seven beautiful things about them and say one, just a little bad thing. And then guess what? I've tried that before and guess what they remember? <laughs> Shouldn't it tell us something about ourselves? What is it? The disciples, after spending three years with Jesus, got lost. I think a lot of times here, if you were to look at the story, when it says that they, up there in um, verse 10 of 16, when she says she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And I think that the, uh, the disciples here were probably lost a little bit in their mourning and weeping. And I think there's a big part of this that, it, that was, they, they needed to be free to be able to do that. But I want us to be really careful because um, what Jesus was doing was he actually had the plan at this point to say, no, Mary, I want you to go to them and I want you to tell them this, stop mourning and weeping. I've risen. And I'm going to tell some sisters and brothers that today. Stop mourning and weeping because he's risen. He's king. He's your hope. He's your only hope. He's your power. He's your strength. Receive it. They had lost all hope. Their thinking and doing were filled with unbelief and hardness of heart. Many of us here today are lost in that. And many of us today in this room, and I can see it on some of your faces, especially today, 
you're really struggling with being here today, that's okay. But many of us here, if we were to be really honest, are filled with a lot of unbelief. And if we were to really be honest, we are filled with a lot of hardness of heart. And if the resurrection does anything for us, the resurrection and the cross rebukes our unbelief and it rebukes our hardness of heart. It really does. It strongly says, stop. It strongly says, no. It rebukes our unbelief. It rebukes our hardness of heart. Let me close. You don't have to turn there, but this is in Mark 9. It says this, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever... It seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. And he answered them. Listen to what he says. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this, happened? Has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us, and help us. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And look, listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And this is an unbelievable statement that the man makes to Jesus because it describes us. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's what we're here today to say. I believe, but help my unbelief.